So Matt, you know, the only thing that flat earthers have to fear is fear itself. Welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) Man, we're coming in the intro and out of the corner of my eye, I see that Adam has a shirt and tie and a hat hanging on (laughs) the door outside of the graveyard. And from my vantage point, there's somebody standing out there. And so he started the intro and I'm like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Well, see, I got to go to a wedding next weekend. So that's my wedding clothes. I'm making sure they still fit. (laughs) So, my uh, bad. <laughs> I just now noticed it. Think about me when I wake up at night and I see that light hanging there. It's, I just, I've been sitting here an hour. I mean, I was like, what yeah. the heck? <laughs> you just noticed it. That's great. Um, so, we wanted to give, a, a, I didn't tell Matt I was going to do this, but a, a little Graveyard Tales advice for everybody that is in the Northern Hemisphere, especially the Southern part of the Northern Hemisphere. It is gold bond powder season. Um <laughs> And if it's hot where you live, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So my advice is just be careful how much you use because you don't want to end up making biscuit dough. (laughs) And if it's too hot, you'll end up with full-blown biscuits. So just be careful. It's another PSA from Graveyard Tales. See, exactly. So you guys are welcome. Um, But also want to say uh, we had talked about in an ad uh, last time about a show, Discovery of Witches. And I hadn't watched that show yet, but I went and watched it. And it's Discovery of Witches on Shudder. And holy cow, that's actually a really good show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's great. I, I, you know, Matt and I were talking about it, and there's a little bit of like a love aspect to it, but you kind of have to have that, I guess, with shows nowadays. But if you discount that, you know, no lovey-dovey stuff, discount that, it's still, I mean, that's a great show. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was you know, surprised that uh, interesting how they weave a history of stuff and all that. So y'all go check that out. If you've got shutter or use our discount code to get shutter and check out discovery of witches. There, I just wanted to bring that up. There are so many shows about vampires yeah, and, and vampires and werewolves together. Sparkly vampires. Yeah. I mean, the, right now, I mean, Amanda's watching a show that's called um, The Originals. Mm-hmm. She's watching it on Netflix right now. Um, and I guess what I learned was that it's a, it's a follow-up to The Vampire Diaries. Either maybe a prequel or I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I, one of my daughters watched The Vampire Diaries mm-hmm. religiously. I so. heard about it. but You know, but um, it just... It amazes me that I'm I'm sitting down and I'm like, hey, what are you watching? And it's another show with vampires and werewolves and witches and whatnot. I mean, yep. there's just so much. So 
but Discovery of Witches is is a really unique conglomeration of these creatures. Yeah, it really is. And it and it's and it's told in in such a way that it's not cliche or trite or boring. Um, so yeah, check it out. I agree. I mean, I I read the books. Mm-hmm. So and you know, but the show I think is a really good representation of the story the books tell. So. That's cool. So yeah, that's a Graveyard Tales recommendation for you. <laughs> so we've had a PSA and a recommendation all in the opening. That's right. So uh, again, you guys are welcome. Um, but this week is our part two of the Travis Walton abduction, and this week we're going to look at the aftermath of the abduction we're going to look at some of the skeptical views of this we're going to dig pretty deep into life after the abduction so matt why don't you get into it brother okay so uh where we'll pick up where we left off where, where we left off uh in part one travis had just returned and made the phone call to his brother-in-law grant Mm-hmm. who went and got his brother, Dwayne, and they drove out and picked Travis up, you know, in the middle of the night. And I think the last thing we discussed was that instead of calling the authorities, yeah, they the next morning they took Travis to Phoenix to meet with what they thought was a doctor um, that was affiliated with um, the... Uh, ground saucer watch. Right. Okay. So, so it, it, we pick up now. Just to recap, Travis Walton's story begins on November fifth, nineteen seventy five, where after leaving his his job uh, with a logging company, along with six coworkers, they saw an object hovering above them in the road, and Travis was hit by a beam of energy. And when the the guys left, came back, Travis was gone. Mm-hmm. He was gone for five days, which is going to be important yep. to remember he was gone for five days. And he only had memory of a couple hours. Correct. He only can recall a couple hours. So that's kind of where we are. So that was on the 5th. Now, by Saturday, November 8th, the word of Travis's disappearance had spread not only around the community, not only around the country, but internationally. I mean, and you think this is 1975. So, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, somebody tweeted about this. Yeah, right. So word got out fast. So news reporters, ufologists, and just general curious people began traveling to Snowflake. Now, among those visitors was a man named Fred Sylvanus. Now, he is a, he was a Phoenix UFO investigator. And he interviewed um, Mike Rogers and Dwayne Walton, Travis's brother, on that Saturday, the 8th. Now, while repeatedly expressing worry for Walton's well-being and criticizing what they saw as a half-hearted effort by the police, they being um, Mike and Dwayne, both men that would make statements that would come back to haunt them. You know, which, you know, you, you think about it, I mean... You'll hear all the time, you know, these cases of people being kidnapped or, you know, somebody was murdered. Somebody in the course of these interviews in the heat of the moment says something that that 
critics, disbelievers, or investigators are going to use against them later. Oh, absolutely. You're and under he, major stress right. and duress, and right. you can't always be held accountable for what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And, and two schools of thought on this. Number one, you're, you know, if you hit them right when the iron's hot, you're going to get the most honest response and reaction, you know, to the event. Maybe. Possibly. But you're also going to get all that emotion and anxiety right. and fear right. mixed in there. So to me, it would be very difficult to read. Now, the other side of that coin is if you wait, let them calm down, process what's happened. They can give you a better version of the story. But then a lot of people will think they're giving you a better version of this story. Right. You know, they've More had sensationalized. That, yeah. Or they've had ample opportunity to conspire you know, and develop the story and and everybody be on the same page. And they've crafted it in such a way that, you know, they're putting forth the information they want you to know. Okay? Right. Now, in I, my I opinion, can understand both of those. Yeah. Sides. In my opinion, in this case, you know, if there was any conspiring going on, it went on well before the event. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, sure. These guys, these guys would have had to have their story down pat before any of this began. Yeah, because they were hit, hit hard and fast by right. the the media and everybody around town. You got to remember that that Snowflake and Heber area is a small, small community. Mm-hmm. You know, so it. Anytime you wipe your nose in a small community, somebody knows. Somebody knows about it. So you, you're you not going to yeah. have time to do that and then everybody get together and confabulate this story before yeah. the press gets there or anybody, you know, your mama's neighbor's hairdresser gets a hold of it. Yeah, if you're acting suspicious, if they see you guys meeting or talking or anything, somebody's going to notice. Absolutely. So th- this interview was recorded by, uh, by Fred Sylvanus. Now... Rogers notes that because of the Walton's disappearance and the subsequent search, he would be unable to complete his contract with the Forest Service, and he had hoped that the search for Travis would mitigate that situation. Now, we're going to touch on that again. Um, now, Dwayne reported that he and Walton were, were pretty interested in UFOs and that some 12 years earlier, Dwayne had witnessed a UFO similar to the one that was witnessed by the logging crew. Dwayne reported that he and Walton had both decided that if they had the chance, they would get as close to as as possible to any UFO they might see. Now, Dwayne also suggested that Walton wouldn't be injured by the aliens because, quote, they don't harm people. So, like I said, these statements would come back to be used against them. Sure. Because a lot of people were questioning, well, how do you know? Right. They won't hurt him. Right. You know, what What gives you that idea? I mean, you know, and he, and he wouldn't know unless he knew the story was completely fabricated. So right. that that was something that was that that people were putting against what Dwayne had said had happened. But it also lends a little credence to why Travis jumped out of the truck quite as fast. You know, when they the incident first happened. A lot of the people question why he jumped out of the truck as exactly. fast as he did. Well, you know, they had already said, look, if you see this, we got to get close to it. Exactly. And I heard him say in an interview that he he was uh, about halfway to where he stopped, you know, and he said at that point, 
I went, holy sh! what am I doing? <laughs> he goes, but I couldn't let the guys in the truck realize I was scared, so I had to keep going, but yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's some bravado that got you into that trouble. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you know, you, you want to, you know, we talked about this on, on part one, you know, you, you want to see it, you know, especially if you're interested in it. Right. You know, if you think that's what it is, which, I mean, they, they didn't realize that's what it was at the time. But you want to get a good look at it, you know, so, I mean, I can't say that I would have done the same thing. I might have, you know, but it, it would it would just have to be in the moment. I would yeah. like, well, oh, man. If aliens are listening, come down and hover close to us because Matt and I want to see what we would do in that situation. Yeah. Text us about five minutes before you get here so we can kind of prep. Right, exactly, because <laughs> I, I tell all visitors that. Let me know so I can put pants That's on. Right. You know? That's right. So, without intending to do so, Rogers and Dwayne Walton had laid a foundation for an alternate interpretation, you know, just by being open and honest and saying what they were feeling. So, Walton would later report that he had, uh, he had never had a keen interest in UFOs, e- even after his abduction, but the tape-recorded st- statements from his brother Dwayne while Walton was gone, you know, are contradictory. Right. So that, you know, now not only is 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 Dwayne kind of leading people this way, he, he with Travis being gone, he, he's kind of speaking for Travis too. Sure. And, you know, that that doesn't help. Um, but they didn't know that at the time. I mean, if 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 you think this is a legit situation, they're they're worried because, you know, Dwayne's brother's missing. Right. You know, and at this point, by the 8th, he's been missing for three days. So, you know, everybody's getting a little panicked. Chances that he would survive are low. Yeah. Now, shortly after Sylvanus' interview, the Snowflake Town Marshal, Sanford Flake. Now, I thought that was like, yeah. <laughs> Snowflake's Town Mar- Mar- Marshal yeah, is Sanford Flake. Mr. Flake. Mr. Flake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he announced that he thought the entire affair was a prank engineered by Dwayne and Travis that they had fooled the logging crew crew by lighting a balloon and releasing it at the appropriate time. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, that, that's as bad of an explanation as swamp gas or an owl. I, I know. It Not only is it a bad explanation, there was no evidence to support that whatsoever. No, and what did they light the balloon with? Fire? These guys are out there on a logging crew to get rid of the slash that would create fire. You think they're going to do anything that might burn down their contract? Yeah. And how in the heck would they have done that? They were in the truck. Exactly. You know, like, really? Let's light it up about nine hours before when we go to work. Yeah, we're going to set this thing up so it's time. Because you can't imagine they knew that they would be in that spot at that exact time. You know, they they pretty much have to shut down when it gets dark cuz they can't see well enough. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's know. a weak weak they, train. They of would thought. have had to have somebody else you yeah. know conspire with them outside of that crew and and then and, and in 40 some odd years that that has never come out yeah. that I that I've found. Let's talk about that for a minute uh real quick the um the the thinking it's a hoax. Now you've got seven people involved in this what people would say is a hoax. Nobody in since 1975, not one of them has stated that it was a hoax, despite 
everything that they've gone through, not one of them has stated that. Yeah. And and you don't think somebody, one of them, would get tired of the backlash that they've gotten because of this and come out and say, you know what? It was a hoax. We were just right. screwing around with the media. Please stop pestering me about it. But no, every one of them has stuck to the same story the whole time. Even even to just even to just say, yes, it was a hoax, even if it wasn't. Just yeah. to get those people off your back and right. off your lawn and to quit calling you or showing up at your job. I mean, can you imagine what that would do to you? Oh, yeah, that that would have to wear you down and just, I mean, yeah, I couldn't but, deal with it. But none of them have ever broken and, and said anything. I'm like, look, I can't throw a surprise party for somebody without knowing, all right, if we tell so-and-so about it. He's going to let the cat out of the bag because yeah. he can't keep his deck yeah, of mouth exactly. shut. <laughs> exactly. You know, so you, you think about it. Out of seven people, all, all these years, nobody ever caved. Right. Right. And they I, were they were young at the time. Yeah. They, I think the youngest right. was, what, 17? Yeah. Oldest I mean, was maybe 25? Even more so. Even yeah. more so would I think, okay, some somebody, a kid would definitely, because yeah. you know, you know at some point- some law enforcement said, look, you know, if you come clean and tell us now, you won't be in any trouble. But if we find out this is a hoax, you're all going to jail. Absolutely. Yeah. And several of them, you know, thought they were getting arrested yeah. when Travis was missing because they just knew that they were going to get arrested because they thought they killed him. That's right. I mean, and you, you go back and One of them would have said something. Yeah. You go back and think that's, that's what they thought at first was that they had done something to Travis. And this was just their ridiculous story to cover it up. Yep. You know, so, so yeah, you would think at some point one of them would have, would have said, okay. Well, you know, what's funny is even with, uh, with old Marshall Flake, his wife publicly disagreed and said that her husband's story was just as far-fetched as Dwayne Walton's story. So, you know. Well, no good on her. Nobody, believe, nobody, you know, at this point, nobody's really believing anybody. You know, whatever's right. coming out, nobody's like, none of this sounds legit. So now, now in the meantime, police officers, and this is, when, and when I say in the meantime, I mean, that Travis is still missing at this point. So police officers are making repeated visits to Travis's mother, Mary Walton Kelly. Now, Dwayne once returned there and found his mom in tears as... She was being questioned sitting in her own living room. So at that point, Dwayne told the police, look, leave her alone unless you find something new or you have something new you have to ask. Don't keep harassing her. And so Dwayne told his mom that she should speak with the police only on the front porch mm -hmm. and that if at any point she you know, became uncomfortable or was feeling like she was being harassed, she could stop the interview and just go inside. That's okay. smart. And she did that. Now, old Marshall Flake, he came up to relate a message to Miss Kellett, um, which says that he contributed to the feelings among the skeptics that Miss Kellett was hiding something or someone by not letting them in her home. Oh, geez. So, you know, again, Dwayne's intentions are good, but it backfires because right. of this situation. You know, so he tells his mom, you know, listen, don't let these investigators, the police, these journalists inside the house. That way, 
if if they start bothering you, if you get emotional or whatever, you can just say, I got to stop and go inside and they can't follow you in the mm-hmm. house. But if you invite them in, they're right here. And you're and stuck, they, yeah. they, you can't make them leave. And even by saying that, you know, they said, you know, Travis is probably inside your house. You know something. That's why you've changed and you won't let us in the house anymore. You know, yeah, you, you can't you can't win for losing. Yeah, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> you know, and and I feel bad. You know, I'm like, can you imagine? You know, if if this if this truly happened and it the way they explain it and it wasn't a hoax. I mean, you know, not only did the guys involved have to endure all this crap, their family did too. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you know there there was no escape. So, you know, that's that's what makes me hope. You know, this was not a yep. And these are, you know, these are guys from, like we said, a very small town. And if you think they would intentionally put their mamas through stuff like that. That's right. Then you don't know boys from small town. That's right. It's exactly right. Now, while Travis was gone, Dwayne also spoke with William H. Spalding of Ground Saucer Watch. Now, Spalding was the one that had recommended that if Walton returned, that the GSW could provide a doctor to examine him in confidence. Now, you remember I mentioned at the end of uh, part one that instead of going to the authorities, the next morning when Travis returned, they drove him to Phoenix to meet with this doctor. This is the doctor that they're referring to. Now, when they drove him to Phoenix, they learned that this guy was not a medical doctor. He was a hypnotherapist, which kind of annoyed them. Um, but, you know, they, they were there, so they went on. So um, they wanted to test his urine and all this stuff. They wanted to do all these physical exams on him. Um, but in reality, they, they just wanted to get their hands on him. They wanted to hear his firsthand account of this. Right. I mean, you know, they weren't they weren't necessarily looking to debunk him. They just wanted all of the information first. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know this this was what they did. So, Spalding would actually become more of an enemy to the case, and and the Waltons would distance themselves from him. In fact, you know, at one point, you know, Dwayne had pretty much told him, D- "Just leave us alone. Don't call us. Don't call our mother." Just just stay out of our lives. And it was because of an article that ran in the Phoenix Gazette where Spalding had reported on his examination of Travis. And it included a statement that Spalding felt that the Waltons were in fear of having a carefully crafted lie exposed, citing that he had found inconsistencies with Travis' story. Okay, now, what inconsistencies or whatnot aren't exactly clear, um, but that, you know, he had information that was going to blow the case wide open. Well, obviously it didn't. Right. You know, because there's still a lot of speculation about what really happened on that night. Now, on Monday, November 10th, all of Mike Rogers' remaining crew took polygraph, polygraph examinations administered by Cy Gilson, who Adam mentioned in part mm-hmm. one. Now, he was an Amer- uh, he was an Arizona Department of Public Safety employee. Now, his questions asked if any of the men caused harm to Walton or knew who had caused Walton harm and if they knew where Walton's body was buried and if they had told the truth about seeing a UFO. 
Now, like Adam stated, the men denied harming Walton or knowing who had harmed him, denied knowing where his body was, and insisted that they had actually seen a UFO. Now, with the exception of Dallas, who didn't complete his exam, and that made his results invalid, Gilson concluded that all the men were truthful and the exam results were conclusive. Now, Gibson's official report says, These polygraph examinations prove that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO and that Travis Walton was not injured or murdered by any of these men on that Wednesday. Said if the USO if the UFO was fake, Gilson thought five of these men had no prior knowledge of it, and that his examinations proved that these five men did see some object that they believed to be a UFO. Now, following the polygraph test, Sheriff Gillespie announced that he accepted the UFO story, saying there's no doubt that they're telling the truth. Okay, now. This is, you know, we're reiterating a lot of this because this is key, because Walton points to this as the best hard evidence that supports his case. And it's what we, Adam and I were just discussing. The odds that five men would fool a polygraph test on the same subject on the same day are a million to one. Right, right. And the, and I was watching an interview with Cy Gilson. And he said the reason that Dallas or Dallas, I think it's Dallas, um, did not complete his polygraph test is apparently he had had some run-ins with the law before, some like light brushes or whatever. So he didn't trust Gilson because he was affiliated with the law. Mm -hmm. So he was doing everything in his power to disrupt the exam. You have to sit still and you have to answer with only yes or no answers. And he was doing, he was fidgeting, moving intentionally, um, giving long-winded answers to mess up the test and everything. So it had to be ruled inconclusive and that he didn't finish it. So it wasn't like he failed it, wasn't like anything like that. He just didn't want to be doing it and made sure that it messed up. Yeah, and we, I think we had mentioned that we'd, we'd come across something that said maybe he had gotten angry and stopped the test or gotten up. And so that kind of clarifies exactly yeah. what happened, why he didn't finish his test. Right. So. Um, now with all those, uh, with all the polygraph stuff and with all the, the evidence that Travis claims is proof of what happened there, there was still a lot of people that just didn't buy it. They, they didn't care, you know, the polygraph and, you know, Adam and I, you know, we, we have our own theories on, you know, how accurate a polygraph is going to be, but it's meh. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's meh. Pretty much. I mean, it kind of gives you a direction to go, but as far as definitive anything, you know, positive, negative, whatever, it can't do that at all. Right. Because there are so many ways that you can mess one up. Um, You can intentionally do it. You could intentionally pass or fail. You could, uh, you know, fail just by being nervous. Yeah. And apparently they do have a sphincter sensor. No, um, I don't want to take that one. No, um, <laughs> but that's one of the, the one of the sensors that they do. It's like a pad on the chair. And, you know, apparently there's a way that you can, um, you know, uh, mess with the results by clenching your booty hole. Because mm-hmm. if you clench your booty hole, your blood pressure goes up. Mm-hmm. So people learn how to clench their booty hole during a, a lie or during a truthful answer. So that their yeah. blood pressure goes up so that that way when they lie and they don't clench their booty, 
then it's not, you know, it, it reads yeah. differently. So if I ask you if your name is Adam and you say yes, but you're clenching up, you're yep. doing things to fool the machine and it comes up and it would register that you're being uh, deceptive. Yep. You know, then how how did any of the other questions, how could you even, right, because even it, use that? It, it's you still rely on an interpreter of the data. Right. Uh, it's not a computer that's telling you whether it's a lie exactly. or the truth. Exactly. You're having somebody look at data coming out, and then they are the ones interpreting whether you're telling the truth or not. Yeah. So if you make your blood pressure go up during something that they know is a truthful answer, and your blood pressure goes up during a lie, they're not going to be able to tell the difference. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you this. If I'm sitting in a room with a polygraph tester that the the police have put me through my booty hole going to be tight the whole time that's right i mean if i'm ever in a situation where i would you know need to take one or or be be asked to take one because of something i'm saying mm-hmm. i'm going to be nervous about oh it. absolutely skin's you know? going to be sweaty heart rate's up <laughs> blood pressure's up yeah i mean in no way. i might have a stroke i don't know now one of these one of these biggest opponents to using this polygraph as proof was a man named Philip J. Class. I'm going to say screw that guy just off the bat. <laughs> from everything I know about now, him, screw that guy. Now, if if you're into ufology, if if you've done any kind of research about UFO sightings or abductions or anything, I guarantee you, you have come across this man's name. Now, if, for those that don't know, Philip J. Class was an investigative journalist and UFO researcher who erred on the side of skepticism to put it mildly Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's very mildly matt i mean you know that's that's like saying that you know you know a grizzly bear is a little aggressive (laughs) yeah you know you know philip class was i mean he he was a debunker that's that's what he was absolutely you know that you know that that's what that's what he attacked every single case with was the idea of i'm gonna prove that this is false right And, and Travis Walton's case was no exception. Right. And to kind of go with what Matt was saying, the the when he said he's a debunker, not a skeptic, skepticism is healthy. You need to go into everything with skepticism. But the problem is most people get labeled a skeptic, but they're a debunker. That means they go into the situation believing it's false, and you can't do anything to sway their opinion. Right. So everything they do or find or say or see is going to make that, a false case right they're not skeptic able to be swayed right they are screw you it's wrong you know they're already biased going in so there's no way to convince them otherwise well you know class kind of had this personality and so a lot of ufologists though you would think they would hate this guy and and i'm sure there were plenty that did but there were there were a lot that appreciated him because they felt like that he gave uh a more sense of objectivity to what they were what they were researching, what they were doing. He was the devil's advocate, so to speak. You know, he's gonna he's gonna debate the other side. You know, so it, it gave them something to combat with what they had. You know, if if I tell you something and and I, I just say this is how it is, this is how it is, and you don't know and you haven't done any research you you don't have any anything to prove or disprove you just have to accept what i'm saying or not accept it what class was doing was he's putting forth you know the alternate views giving those people those ufo those ufologists and those researchers 
a, a sounding board to bounce off of. What? Look, he says it's this way. We're going to show you why it's not. Mm-hmm. We're going to show you why his opinion isn't right on this case. And and that was good for for a lot of these researchers because, you know, up until this time, you know, they pretty much could say whatever. You right. know, I mean, I yeah, I was abducted by aliens or, uh, you know, a UFO landed in my backyard or, I, you know, I saw a flying saucer and now all my cows are mutilated. Okay, we we don't have any way to to dispute you, mm-hmm. you know. But class thought he did, and he tried, and it, and it gave those uh, those researchers something to go. Yeah, but right. how do you explain this? Right, your your theory doesn't fit on this. Right, and it, and a lot of them felt like it gave some credence to what they were doing. But class's methodology, you know, was was not appreciated because he he had the I mean, he, he attacked like a, like a rabid dog. Yeah. You know, he, he went after not just the story, but you know, in some cases there's evidence that he went after people, Yeah, you know, smear campaigns, you know, um, actually traveling to places, you know, where people lived and worked to, to try to, you know, convince them that they should, you know, come clean, admit that it's a hoax or that they're lying, whatever, you know, and, and, and he did, he did a lot of this, um, you know, to people involved in the Travis Walton case. Right. And I think, you know, one of those things is like when, um, I think it was Ivan T. Sanderson, when he moved to uh, Canada, class wrote a letter to the Canadian government bashing Sanderson personally to try to get them to remove him from the country or not let him practice um, any form of science experiments or anything in Canada because he was such a, you know, he he believed in UFOs, so he's a nutcase and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, class to me has none <laughs> because, you know, you attack the case. Don't right. attack the person. Right, right. There's you know, no reason to attack someone's personal life if it does not apply to what you're yeah. Trying to prove or disprove. That's right. Go after what are the perceived facts. Exactly. You know, and 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 dissect them. Don't dissect the person. So, you know, he was such a staunch disbeliever in UFOs that he actually cursed ufologists in his last will and testament. <laughs> He's actually got a statement in his last will and testament that says, and I quote, to ufologists who publicly criticize me or who even think unkind thoughts about me in private. I do hereby leave and bequeath the UFO curse. No matter how long you live, you will never know any more about UFOs than you know today. You will never know any more about what UFOs really are or where they come from. You will never know any more about what the U.S. government really knows about UFOs than you know today. As you lie on your own deathbed, you will be as mystified about UFOs as you are today, and you will remember this curse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that proves his mindset. It, yeah, it That's does. That's in your will and testament, and you're still being a, a beep, a, a censor button to these people. Who who I would mean, go that far? Yeah, I mean, apparently the guy whose last name is something that he doesn't have. <laughs> so, you know, it, it shouldn't be a shock that Class didn't believe Travis Walton. And he subsequently pointed out a lot of questionable things in Travis's story. Now, class claimed Walton did not pass his initial polygraph test. 
nor did the men who allegedly witnessed the event. According to Class, the first polygraph test Walton cited as having passed was not actually the first. It was the second. So, Travis had been interviewed by James Harder, who was the director for the civilian research group, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or the ARPO. Now, Harder had hypnotized Walton to help him recall more details about his abduction, but he found that Travis was only able to account for approximately two hours of the five days that he was missing, but that his conscious and unconscious memories were consistent, okay? Now, there's a lot of people. Now, this would make, you know, twice that Travis has met with, you know, somebody that was a hypnotherapist, Mm -hmm. okay? And there was some speculation that during the course of being hypnotized that somebody implanted a false memory in there so that this story became so real to Travis that he could recall it just like it really happened. You know, I I mean, I I think by the time that he was interviewed by Harder, he had already told this story several times, you know, so I I don't think that at that point it could be, you know, implanted, but I, you know, I don't know, you know, the the time frame is not consistent here. Um, but we know at this point, you know, Travis had been back long enough that he had he had related this story multiple times. Right. Now, during his session with Harder, Walton experienced an impenetrable mental block. And Walton had expressed that further regression would adversely affect his health. So that when the National Enquirer came calling, asking Travis to take a polygraph test, Harder expressed concern, saying that he was too distraught to undergo, undergo such an examination. Now, according to Philip Class, the National Enquirer had offered Walton, the Waltons a sum of money, speculated to be around $100,000, to pass a polygraph test. Now, you've got you to gotta remember, all this stuff is happening really quickly. This is right. not weeks or months after he's returned, this is immediate. This all this stuff is happening to him within these first few days. Okay, so it's like a he's come back and it's like a whirlwind, mm-hmm. and all he can do is recall about two hours. You remember when they found him in the phone booth? He thought he had only been gone a few hours. Right. They had to convince him that he had been gone for five days. So the Waltons had a counteroffer: should Travis not pass, or any of them pass, the results would not be published. And the Inquirer agreed, and they enlisted a, 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 an expert named John McCarthy. Now, he trained at the Army's Fort Gordon Polygraph School. So you think, this guy really knows his stuff. Right. So McCarthy claimed that he could take Travis's emotional state into consideration, and it wouldn't skew the results. So after completing the exam, McCarthy determined that Walton was lying. Now, quotes from McCarthy's official report say that based on his reaction on all charts, it is the opinion of this examiner that Walton, in concert with others, is attempting to perpetuate a UFO hoax and that he has not been on any spacecraft. Even accusing Travis of using techniques like Adam was just talking about, like holding his breath or things like that to try to beat the machine. 
But true to their word, the Inquirer did not publish the findings, but Class appeared to have discovered the results, using this against the Walton's claim that Travis had passed the first polygraph that he took. So, um, and, and, and since that time, more had come out about the National Enquirer thing. You know, so there's evidence that this is indeed what happened. Right. Um, and that um, the Waltons and, and some of the other eyewitnesses became very angry during the course of the polygraph that they, um, you know, felt like they were being misled or, you know, there was an attempt uh, by the examiner to, to k- try to catch them in a lie or twist their words. Things like that. And, I, and you got to understand, too, the other guys had already been through, run through the mill. Sure. Um, up to this point. You know, this is this is still fresh for Travis, but they've been dealing with it, you know, for, you know, the whole time he was gone. Right. You know, they were getting grilled and they'd already taken polygraph tests. Right. So, and you got to think, too, that back then they didn't understand PTSD. Right. You know, they, they understood they had like shell shock or something if you've been in war. But as far as someone having post-traumatic stress disorder, if you're going to have it, it's going to come from that most definitely. Mm -hmm. And so Travis is still dealing with PTSD from that event that he's trying to recall. And he's, you know, he may be trying to suppress some of it so that he doesn't have all these uh, feelings and anxiety and all that, but they keep getting brought back up. So that's going to change your mental state and your emotional state for a polygraph test. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's also noteworthy that Steve Pierce, um, one of the eyewitnesses, would claim that Class offered him $10,000 to admit that the entire story was just an elaborate hoax. Now, Pierce attempted to maintain distance from the story as he says his daughter was the only member of his family who believed him. But in what he said would... What he said, which would be the last public discussion of the case for Pierce, um, stated that he had been visited by class multiple times over the years and that the offer had been made. It, and this is also mentioned in, in the 1996 version of Travis Walton's book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Travis has updated this book several times as, as new new stuff has come out. And things, have, things have changed and so forth. So there's newer editions of the book that he just adds more current information. Right. Um, you know, but, th- but this was one of those things, you know, and in the interview, and you can see the interview um, with Steve Pierce, that was his last, uh, uh, you know, appearance, um, you know, the very last interview about it, you know, he pretty much says that this whole thing ruined his life. Mm-hmm. You know, his family, you know, thought he was nuts or thought he was just a liar. Nobody believed him. Um, you know, everywhere he went, you know, he, he had to change jobs. You know, can you know, just can you imagine, you know, we, we talked about this just a little while ago. What what kind of effect that has on on your emotional well-being? Right. And to and, not and change. to not crack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to not just go, man. You know, screw this. Give me the 10 grand. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Mm-hmm. You just know? leave me the hell alone. Yeah, just get out of my life. Let me move on. Yep. You know, I'll take the ten grand and I'll I'll move away, and you won't ever have to hear from me again. But now, you know, I got to think that you know Pierce and probably every one of the other guys was tempted at that point. Oh, I'm sure it was tempting. You know, to yeah. just go, I'm out. You know, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Now, in his 1988 book, UFO Abductions, 
Class claims that Walton and his co-workers devised this hoax as an excuse for not being able to complete their logging contract. Now, we, we touched on this in, ep- in the first part, and I mentioned it earlier that Rogers was hoping that Travis's disappearance was going to cut him some slack on not meeting this deadline. But Class dug a little bit deeper. So, in actuality, the contract's deadline was November 10th, exactly five days from when Travis disappeared. Now, the contract stated that they would be docked 10% if the deadline was missed, with the exception being an act of God that would prevent them from doing so. But a, hmm. but a UFO, I mean, I mean, let's... Let's let's look at this. I mean, you know, and, and you know, as much as you know, I I, I wouldn't want to give Philip Class any credence, you know, in this situation just because of the way he went about getting this information. Right. There's some validity to this, you know. He he's under the gun. Rogers is under the gun. You know, he's got this crew that has to get this job done, or he's going to lose money, and he's got five days to finish it. He's got to come up with a way, an excuse to, you know, to not finish this job Mm -hmm. that's not going to cost him money. Why on earth would you choose a UFO abduction? Exactly. Something that you, 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 even if you didn't think it was going to get to this magnitude. Yeah. uh, You've got to think that. Nobody's gonna believe. There's got to be something easier. Yeah, I mean, probably a thousand something easier. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just don't think, you know, and maybe it's just me. I, I just don't think that if, if, if I owned a business, and I was gonna have to perpetuate a lie to get me out of a tight situation, that this lie was going to be what I would decide to go with. Right. And why would you go with a lie that had involved everyone on the crew so yeah. that one of them could come back and go, you know what? He was lying. Give me the contract and I'll finish it up quicker. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's, it's my surprise party analogy. Yeah. The more people you involve in something like this, the, the less likely it's not going to come out that it's a lie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've got six other people that you are going to have to get convinced that what this is what we're going to do yep. and you guys can't break because of this contract. And you've got okay. to stick with it for the next 50 years. And or you've got one guy that's got to stay gone for five days. Right. I mean, can you imagine what they, I mean, maybe, that, maybe if that's the case, maybe they didn't think, well, this is going to become a global sensation. Everybody's going to want to know about the guy that was abducted by a UFO. Right. But you got to think he had some inkling if that yep. he would have if that was what he was doing. Well, and think about this, too. When uh, let's say you perpetuate this hoax and so you say, OK, Travis, you've got to stay gone for five days and then come back. Okay, well, where is he going to hide out for five days in a small town like that? You know, you're going to, okay, you have him do that in the woods somewhere. Okay, you're going to give him provisions in order to stay alive for those five days out in the harsh weather out there. And hope the police don't find him when they come looking. Right. When he came back, we didn't talk about this, but he had lost 12 pounds. 
in the five days that he was gone because during an exam, they weighed him and he was 12 pounds lighter than the last time yeah. they saw him. So why would you just send him out in the middle? And you you don't think if that was the thing and you just sent him out in the middle of the woods, when his ass got hungry, he wasn't going to come back? Yeah. Or, you know, he was going to allow himself to lose 12 pounds in five days right. for a hoax so that you didn't get docked 10%? Right. And, you know, I got to think that, it, you know, if Rogers is worried about losing 10% on this contract, he probably doesn't have the money to pay any of those guys, much less Travis, off. You know, especially Travis to go, man, if you do this for me, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars. Right. You know, I'm like, you're going to have to come up with some serious cash for me to go, I'm going to disappear for five days and not eat. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I ain't missed many meals. But right. I'm not, I'm not going to go five days without eating for, you know, anybody. Right. You know, you, you better be <laughs> be coming at me with some serious money. No kidding. For me to even be willing to consider doing something like that. So I, 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 I can't see that. You know, I can't see that being the situation, you know, trying to get out of this contract. This is the best they could come up with. Um, but, you know, Travis and his brother Dwayne, like we said before, were supposedly fans of US UFO cases. Now, class makes a point to say that, you know, coincidentally or not, two weeks before Walton's abduction, with the uh, with the logging deadline growing close, NBC aired their primetime made-for-television movie, The UFO Incident, about the 1961 Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. So, you know, if you do some Google foo and you Google famous uh, UFO abductions, you your results will have two that will come up over and over again. Travis Walton yep. and Betty and Barney Hill. Yep. I mean, these are, these have got to be the two most famous abductions right you know in in history i mean and there's been a lot more you know of course you know i think you know probably a lot of our listeners have read communion by whitley striber mm-hmm. and you know that's a pretty famous one but these two are you know probably the the top results you're going to get every time and so this movie came out two weeks before that deadline you know was to come around mm-hmm. i don't believe in coincidences but honestly after reading this i'm thinking that may have just been a coincidence. Yeah. You know, I, I, cause I've got to think if they watched a movie about it, that I haven't watched that movie and I really haven't done all that much research into the, you know, Betty and Barney Hill case, but I got to think that they, they would have gotten some insight on what was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, after exactly go, yeah, maybe we should come up with something else. Maybe that, that much <laughs> attention would not be good. Yeah. You know, that's like a third grader. That's a dog ate my homework excuse. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, so class would go on in his book to claim that Walton and his buddies just made up the story as an excuse to account for their pending job, you know, in completion. And in his investigation of the case, class discovered that during the five days that Walton was missing, none of his family or coworkers showed any concern whatsoever for his safety during several interviews by media and interrogations by law enforcement agents. Now, he even says that at one point, Dwayne confessed, quote, he's not even missing. He knows where he's at, and I know where he's at. But, you know, it it was funny to me that, you know, 
Class's book was the only place I could find documentation of that. I was just about to say, I've, I've seen a lot of these interviews with yeah. these people during Walton's disappeared time, and I've never seen that. Yeah. I'm not saying that it wasn't said. I'm just saying that of all of the articles that you can go and read about this case, I never came across this. And if some, if a bombshell like that was said, it would seem to me that that would, would blow it out of the water everywhere. Yeah. That that would be, that would be what everybody would lead with. Yep. You know, I mean, even if it was a hoax and, and it wasn't necessarily engineered to get them out of the logging contract, um, you know, I still got to think that, you know, th this would this would be the headline. And sure. I, I didn't see any of nope. that, you know, where where this was what, you know, this was what everybody was was linked to. It was just I'm holding on to the fact that his brother said he knew where he was while he was missing. We'd have sound bites of it to this day. I, I would think, you know, but but this is, you know, this is a quote, you know, from from Philip Class's book. So, you know, whether I think whether you believe it or you don't believe it or you're just like, I just need a little bit more evidence, you know, to really say that I believe that Travis Walton was abducted. You can agree, I would think, that this right here. <laughs> is is a little sensational mm -hmm. you know that th this could have been enough to shut it down totally sure you know the police jump down and grill down on Dwayne, and he finally breaks and says okay 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 yeah but you know and this would have given them plenty of reason to do so but like i said if it if it happened that way i i, I nobody could, else I has said it. i couldn't find it and with all the documentaries that adam and i've watched and all the research we've done i think this would have come up more often absolutely so you remember I said that those polygraph tests would, would, would come up again. They just kept on coming. I mean, I couldn't even count the number of polygraph tests that Travis and the other guys managed to take. But there was one that actually made it on national television. So in, uh, in 2008, July 31st, Travis appeared on the Fox Network's The Moment of Truth. How do I make an eye-rolling sound? <laughs> so this was a reality-slash-game show. And the, the premise of the show was that people came on as contestants that had maybe some sensitive information about their life. You know, some story that maybe seemed a little bit out there. You know, everything from, you know, uh, so, so somebody having, uh, you know, having, you know, d done something to somebody else or, you know, there was I think there was an episode where uh, a woman was in love with two different men and, you know, all this stuff. And it, they just they just real dramatically lead up to a final question. Now, it's a game show because with every right answer or every truthful answer the contestant wins money. So Travis was approached about coming on this show. And, you know, he even admits I, I wanted to decline at first, mm -hmm. but he was, uh, he was working at like a paper mill or something like that. And, and he knew that he was about to be laid off. There were being some cutbacks. And so he knew within a few weeks he was going to be out of a job. 
and the idea of winning money to just tell the truth about the story he'd been telling for 30 something years would have been an easy payday. Sure. You know, in his mind, he's thinking, all I got to do is tell the truth. I'm gonna, I've passed polygraphs up to this point. This one will be no different. Right. Although he, he did say that he had some reservations about it going in. Well, okay. yeah, he, it's he, he wasn't game show. He wasn't just all kicking up his heels going, it's time to get paid. You know, he, he knew, okay, this, this, you know, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So I've got to be a little skeptical about it. So after several lead in questions, they finally get to the $100,000 question. And I've actually watched this episode or I skimmed through it because in actuality, the show's like an hour long and, and it's it's boring. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're asking him things like, have you ever lied um, about calling in sick to work? What I mean again? These are these are questions that polygraph examiners use to, you know, see what the response is going to be yeah. to throw somebody off a little bit to make them think and give an appropriate answer. Sometimes questions like that don't always have a yes and no answer, and so maybe you did, but you had good reason or you know, so I didn't really lie. I was sick. I just wasn't as sick as what I, you know, let on. You know. I really needed a day off work and all this, whatever, you know, now I'm going to, now I've got to answer a yes, no question on a polygraph, you know, whether it, you know, it, it's not going to be black and white, right? you know, and, and the questions went on. They had questions like, do you believe that, you know, there's a government cover up about what happened to you or about UFOs in general? Um, well, what if you, you know, don't have an, a response to that? What if you, what if your response is, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, Travis's response was yes, and it was determined to be a true answer. Um, you know, they asked questions like, do you think that the people in your hometown, you know, fully believe you, you know, and this went on for a while and they, you know, he'd earned enough money to get to that last $100,000 question, which was so funny to me because the questions up to that point were like so vague, like I'm talking about, or just had a lot of innuendo, innuendo about them. <laughs> the final question were you abducted by a UFO on Feb- on uh, November 5th, 1975? Dum, dum, I mean, dum. as straightforward as you could get, yep. yes or no. And of course, Travis said yes. Now, remember, the, the polygraph examination, they said, was about 50 questions, and it, it was not done on camera. Okay? Yeah. They were given the results. And of course, according to the way the show worked, Travis wasn't aware of what the interpreter you know, had, had determined were the answers. And so he's sitting there and he, he had answered that question and this booming voice comes out over the thing. That answer is false. And you see his reaction and the reaction of his wife sitting there with him and, and, and some of his children and one of his best friends. And they're all just like in shock. I mean, his wife sitting there with his, with her mouth wide open and he's just shaking his head and he almost chuckles and he's like, no, no. No, like, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, you can read about this, but I wanted to see the reaction myself. And to me, what it looked like was that Travis felt like he had just been had. Yep. He knew he got played. Yeah. That, you know, he had been brought on this show to get, you know, viewers. Mm hmm. And their full intention was, we're going to drag this poor soul all the way to the very end. 
And we're going to say that the, the one thing, whether he wanted it or not, that has defined this man's existence, we're going to say is false. Right. And we're going to screw him out of money and we're going to discredit him on TV all for ratings. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying but, the, the look on Travis's face, that's exactly what it looks yeah, like. But you got to think, it's a television show. It's a show. TV show. And what we know now about the way reality TV actually works, yeah. I mean, there is so little about reality TV that is actually real. Yeah. And the drama that that in, incites in people is going to get you a ton more views than if he went all the way and he said, yep, you go, yep, that answer is true. Here's your money. Go home. Everybody would have been like, well, okay, you know. Yeah. But you say it's false. Oh, now people are going to watch it multiple times and blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Know? Exactly. So, so again, you know, that was that's another situation where Travis took a polygraph and it just didn't fly out the way he thought. So, you know, we we wanted with this, we wanted to hit these points you know, we didn't want to just hammer down into, you know, what UFOs are and talk about other cases that are similar and other abductions. We wanted to focus on, you know, what happened to these guys after this, after this alleged abduction and how it affected their lives and what happened to them up to the present day. And so we wanted to hit these high points so that Graveyard Tales listeners could do what we ask you to do every show. Tell us what you think. You know, Adam and I have our own opinions. And, you know, we have opinions about a lot of things about yeah. this case. <laughs> yeah. You know, but we want to present this information, you know, as accurately as we can so that you guys can either do your own research or you can get at least, you know, a good working knowledge of maybe something you have not looked into. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you watched the movie. Um, you know, maybe you grabbed his book, you know, uh, you know, to uh, take on vacation or something. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, this UFO book looks pretty good. You know, you know, but we want to give you that working knowledge so that you can say, eh, you know, I don't believe it. I think he's full of crap, yeah. you know, or, you know, well, there's some really compelling things. I want to find out more about what happened to this and what happened to that. So you can draw your own conclusion. Right. And one thing we didn't hit on that I, I, I would be, I'd kick myself if we didn't talk about is some compelling information. It was about, I think, 20 years after the incident. So in, in the 90s, mid 90s, um, Travis went back up to the site with some investigators and some scientists. And they were looking at the site for physical evidence that far afterwards. So they, they were looking at the tree ring growth and they went to the site and every tree in a circular pattern around the abduction site showed that the tree ring growth on the inside of that circle closest to the quote craft grew faster and the rings were wider. So it was an kind of an oblong shape in the tree rings and the tree. And they compared that to data that was that came from studies on trees at Chernobyl, where these trees got a blast of radiation and their growth is now three times faster than a normal tree. So 
there is physical evidence that shows something. Yeah. Something happened there. Not saying it's alien craft from outer space, but something happened there to blast those trees with extra radiation just on that side. Yeah. I mean, that that's physical scientific yes. evidence of something happening in that spot that caused those trees to grow. And they were just able to correlate it to the, you know, similar trees in Chernobyl. Right. So they, they make a, a good assumption that it has something to do with radiation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm with Adam. Something happened there. Something. Whether it be a, a craft from outer space or whether it be a government thing or something, you know, there was something that emitted radiation that affected the natural environment around that area. Yeah. And when you mention a government thing, you know, Adam and I, you know, talk a little bit about we we were discussing Philip Class and you know, I think you can already tell what Adam's views on him are. But a lot of people um that were ufologists, researchers and and you know, Philip Class passed away in 2005. Um but you know, he was very very active, you know, for decades. Mhm. Um, you know, Lee, even and like we said, right up to his death, that he was a government employee. Yep. Because, you know, you think of disinformation agents and a lot of people believe that he was a disinformation agent, um, whether it be from the, the government or a private entity, private firm, that the way he went about debunking all of these cases that he was involved with, his sole job was to disprove everything that might lead to the people understanding or finding out about UFOs. And you look at it, I mean, one of, when he offered the guy $10,000, right? okay, where was he going to get $10,000? Out of his mouth, he stated uh, several times that he didn't make a large income from anything. Where did he have $10,000? Right. Okay. So he was getting that from somebody, right? Yeah. So was he getting that from the government? Was he getting that from a private firm? Where was he getting that? So there, there's people that believe he was a disinformation agent. Yeah. And and if the story is true, if he did, you know, pretty much harass Stephen Pierce and offer him this money, it sounds like shut up money. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, listen, Man, you're going to say it's a hoax. I'm going to give you this money, and we're going to make this thing go away. And, and you know, if if I'm Philip Class or if I'm anybody that's that's trying to make this happen, you know, I'm going to appeal to this guy going, look, you want people like me to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want to get on with your life and make this go away. Help me make this go away. I'm, I'm going to give you this money, and let's make this thing go away, and you get on with your life. And you distance yourself from it. Don't you want people to quit calling you? Don't you want your family to just, you know, take you back? You know, don't you want to be able to find a job without somebody going, oh, you're that UFO guy? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, wouldn't you approach somebody like that? I oh, mean, if sure. that was my job, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's shut up money. Let's make this, let's make this go away. Yep. You know, let's just, let's just let everybody forget about it. I said, all it takes is one. If you just say it. That will discredit everybody else, Travis included. Yep. You know, all we need is one. You know, it doesn't matter whether it really happened or not. Yep. We just need the story to go away. Yep. So, you know, and, and and there's evidence 
of people like that throughout decades of people being hired by the government or people working for the government, whatever, that are these disinformation agents. And, you know, they, whether it be with UFO or any other thing out there that the government yeah, is, is involved with. It doesn't have to be a UFO. No. They're, they're, I mean, how many corporations pay people to just go, please just don't, let's not take this to court. Yeah. You know, we're not going to admit any wrongdoing or that you're truthful or not truthful, but we're willing to give you X amount of dollars to just shut up. Yeah. Go away. You know, this, this is going to hurt us. You know, you, you obviously don't just want to hurt us. You just, you, you just want some compensation for what happened to you. Take this money and shut the hell up. Right. You know, it happens every single day. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't know why this would be any different if this is exactly how it happened. Right. And that, that's the thing. We don't know that that's exactly how it happened, but. Yeah. And Philip the, Class is not around anymore to defend himself. Right. You know, but I mean, he, he always said that, you know, this, this did not happen, that he didn't do it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was a lot that came out and said, oh, yeah, you did. You know, this yep. is what was said. We, we don't really know, but this this story is out here. There's so. more out there about the $10,000 than there is about him saying uh, Travis's brother admitted to anything. Yeah, there there was a little thing. And I don't know if you came across this, Adam. Um, I, I, I didn't find a lot about it, but there there has been a theory that the reason Travis has this mental block and. You know, he he can't remember much of the five days is because that energy blast that supposedly supposedly knocked him off his feet actually killed him. I, I Yes, I've, I've heard a few things about this. Yeah. And that that the aliens weren't going to abduct him. They didn't mean to kill him. And so they took him to fix him, to 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 heal him, yes. to bring him back. Yep. And then when he was better, they, they dropped, they him, dropped him off. Yep. I heard heard a little bit about that, and I heard him actually admit to, you know, he said, maybe that's what happened. Yeah. He said, maybe they really severely hurt me, and that's why I woke up in the room that I did with that thing over me. They were reviving me and putting me back together. And he goes, if that's the case, then thank you so much for abducting me and, and fixing me. Yeah. You know, but... Yeah, I mean, there's that theory out there, too. Can you imagine that conversation? I picture the aliens from The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, you killed him. Yeah. You know. Uh, ah, crap. This is the third one this month. Go get him. Right. We got to fix him. Brent, I told you to turn that knob down. <laughs> Set it to stun. Set it to stun. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, that it's just there's so much information out there about this case. And there's, I mean... As many theories, I mean, we'd we'd have to have another show to really get through all the theories, and yeah. we're we're not gonna we're not gonna subject y'all to that. No. You know, if if these are these are some of the major ones. If you want to dig in, you know, like I said, read the book. The book is actually very good. You yeah. know, I I've I've read through the majority of the book. Um, I you know, I confess, I didn't read it all, but I did I did read a lot of it, especially about um what transpired, you know, on the ship. The book is more on point than the movie. Yeah, the, the movie the, strays too far. Yeah, the, the movie it's it's a it's a decent adaptation, but you know it it's got to be entertainment. Sure. Um, you know, if you don't know any, if you didn't know anything about this case, um, and you're just like, yeah, it sounds like a pretty decent movie. You won't be disappointed. I mean, yeah. it's it's a pretty good movie too. Um, you know, but it does take a lot of artistic license, but. Such a such an interesting case, you know. If if for no other reason than it has lasted for 
40 some odd years. Right. Without, like Adam said, one of those guys caving in, without any evidence coming up that completely disproves it. Um, you know, I, I read a statement that they said, you know, the Travis Walton case, there's absolutely no evidence to dispute it. But of course, there's no evidence to completely prove it either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's just out there, and and I, you know, at this point, I think all we're really going on is what these guys have to say. I don't, I don't think any new information is going to come out. I mean, it, it might, but I think it would have come out by now, surely. Right, and like Matt said, we're not going to put you through a part three. We are discussing maybe doing a Patreon bonus episode on going a little further into some stuff and, and doing it the way we do Patreon a little bit lighter mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of discussing a little more. So maybe that will happen. Um, we will let y'all know if it does, but uh, like we always say, tell us what you think, you know, hit us up, email us, put it on Facebook, Twitter, DM us, whatever. Let us know what you think about this case. We've had some people already, you know, messages and say that they grew up near that, uh, that mountain, that area. Um, you know, people called us out about it, not snowing in Arizona. We know, um, it, it's a joke kind of like where, you know, everybody says Texas is so flat you can watch your dog run away for three days. You know, it, it's an exaggeration of it. We know it's for humor. Yeah, yeah, so we know it snows. Um, hell, it snowed in California this year, so we yeah, we know. You know, yeah. It just it just don't snow here hardly, right? <laughs> but um, but yeah, as Adam said, let us know. Uh, go find us on uh on social media, and if you want to let us know, our Facebook group is one of the best places to do so. Um, it, it's a it's a great environment to share personal stories, share your opinions about different show topics, and, and not run the risk of being judged or criticized exactly. for doing so. Um, you know, you can search Graveyard Tales on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and go to our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can listen to the show. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. Uh, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. And you can become a patron. And we'd like to thank everyone that has donated to the show. Mm-hmm. So, uh uh, we, uh, we're going to be back next week and until then we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.